This is the APS China Quarterly, April 2021. Is China winning the trade war? By Tan Kon Yam, Kanish Kakar, and Jason Yap. Introduction. The trade war is not over, and China is still playing its long game of go. The key battlegrounds have shifted to the ASEAN and European Union regions. Given increasing trade links with both regions, China is seeking to pivot away from the U.S. through regional pacts and build on its existing advantages within the global supply chain. Looking ahead, we think the manufacturing and trading of goods not considered to be of strategic importance will likely still be carried out in the ASEAN bloc with China at the center. With the new Biden administration not likely to embark on rash moves, we think the interests of businesses will remain protected, and China will enjoy a little more breathing space. Building alliances in ASEAN and the EU. Since the trade war began in 2018, China has been working hard to pivot away from the U.S. In November 2020, China, along with ASEAN and five of its major trading partners, entered the Regional Comprehensive Economic Partnership. The trade pact is significant because it accounts for 33% of the world's population and almost 30% of global GDP. It aims to reduce tariffs and facilitate international supply chains within the region. Significantly, RCEP includes Japan and Korea, potentially facilitating a future China-Japan-Korea free trade agreement that could be critical for the strategic semiconductor industry. China needs strong relations with ASEAN too. ASEAN is not just a large and growing market. It is also home to low-cost centers of production, which China can use to compensate for the growing cost of domestic labor. ASEAN could thus emerge as a highly complementary new production hub with China at the center. ASEAN has become more economically intertwined with China because of the trade war. For example, many factories relocated to Vietnam from China. These factories continued to import key components from China, assembled the final products in Vietnam, and exported them to the U.S. free of tariffs aimed at China. In 2020, ASEAN's linkages with China reached another milestone. ASEAN's share of Chinese exports crossed 15%, whilst the share of the U.S. fell below 15%. Similarly, the EU has become a major market for Chinese products. In December 2020, China and the EU concluded negotiations on the Comprehensive Agreement on Investment, a bilateral investment deal which binds the EU and China to their current levels of market openness and prevents potential roadblocks in fresh sectors of investment. The deal shows China's intention to connect and collaborate with trade partners in preparation for its increased decoupling from the U.S. The EU has also shown it is willing to reciprocate, largely due to the lobbying efforts of major corporates in Germany and France and the colossal China market. 
The deal remains subject to ratification by the EU Parliament, but China now holds another bargaining chip. It has already overtaken the US to become the EU's biggest trading partner in 2020. With continued growth in the China market, this lead is likely to continue to widen. China has also said it will consider joining the Comprehensive and Progressive Agreement for Trans-Pacific Partnership. The trade pact was signed by 11 participating countries in 2018, despite the U.S. withdrawing in 2017. If China manages to join the CPTPP, the agreement will form the largest free trade area in the world by GDP around USD 27.8 trillion, leaving the US out of all major trading groups. Japan and Australia are likely to resist and find a way, perhaps through a second arrangement, to bring the US back through the back door. Global supply chain remains largely unchanged with, quote, China plus. While China has worked hard to build its alliances with other nations, it is also benefiting from vested business interests. Global multinationals have found it remarkably difficult to shift out of China, as seen in foreign direct investment in China continuing to rise through the trade war. Looking ahead, supply chains could become further entrenched in the ASEAN bloc with China at the center. Global multinationals can tap on China's growing capabilities in advanced manufacturing as well as ASEAN's cost efficiencies for labor-intensive manufacturing. U.S.-led alternative production bases in India and Mexico, meanwhile, remain at a nascent stage and will likely undergo growing pains in the short term. Bolstered by regional cooperation agreements such as the RCEP, and supported by the regional production base in ASEAN, China and ASEAN can together emerge as the most competitive global production base. The shift to China and ASEAN will be most apparent in so-called non-strategic goods, which are goods not related to national defense or technological superiority. Their production is likely to be driven by market forces and cost efficiencies. Recent trade data shows that China's imports have become less complex over time because they have been importing raw materials and exporting high-value-add goods, which implies greater self-sufficiency in production of high-value-add goods or high-tech components. Concurrently, ASEAN countries are taking a greater share of labor-intensive, low-to-mid-end manufacturing. We see this in ASEAN's increased share of global merchandise trade, resulting from their lower production cost base and temporary adjustments to circumvent trade tariffs. For example, Chinese factories have been sending intermediate components to Vietnam for final assembly and export. Nevertheless, the supply chain for strategic goods remains highly vulnerable to disruption. Components might no longer be produced in China, especially if the U.S. deems itself to be over-reliant on them. U.S. President Joe Biden, for example, signed an executive order requiring U.S. companies to review their purchases of strategic goods such as semiconductor chips, large-capacity batteries, and pharmaceuticals. These parts will likely have to be made in countries such as Vietnam, India, 
Taiwan, or Mexico. The impact of the trade war can thus be seen in Apple's supply chain, where the smartphone giant intends to shift up to 30% of its supply chain to alternative production bases. A byproduct of this shift would be the impact on Apple's Taiwanese contract manufacturers such as Foxconn, Pegatron, and Wistron. These companies might no longer be allowed to produce in China for the American market and will be forced to invest in Vietnam, Mexico, India, or move manufacturing back to Taiwan. We thus see how Taiwanese companies have invested in India and concurrently sold their key operations in China to Chinese electronics companies. The next phase. Trade war tensions might simmer on, but China will enjoy a little more breathing space. While U.S. President Joe Biden's appointments to his administration signal a continued tough line against China, and U.S. strategy will involve mobilizing its EU and ASEAN allies against China, rash moves are unlikely to be made. There are some signs that business interests are being hurt. In February 2021, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce and independent research group Rhodium issued a joint report highlighting up to USD $1 trillion worth of production and competitiveness losses if the U.S. administration had pursued a sharp separation from China. The report added that it was critical that U.S. semiconductor firms retain access to the Chinese market so they can recoup their past capex and reinvest their earnings into new U.S.-based chip production as well as research and development. In early March, in a sign of easing sanctions, SMIC secured the supply of chip-making equipment from ASML. China has few friends already and will want to ensure that U.S. companies operating in its shores can prosper so they can continue to lobby the U.S. government in trade matters. Thus, U.S. companies will continue to do well in China's domestic market, with companies such as General Motors, Citi, and BlackRock expanding their operations in China. Capital markets reform has moved forward, with further relaxation of QFI rules providing wider investment scope and lower barriers to entry. Companies such as China Telecom have taken its delisting from U.S. exchanges in stride, as it recently announced plans for a new listing on the domestic A-share market. Conclusion the Sino-U.S. trade war was initiated to reduce China's trade surplus with the U.S. and contain China's rise. Two years later, neither of these objectives appear to have been achieved. China is instead taking steps to minimize the risks it faces and is strengthening its bilateral relations with neutral countries, as well as doubling down on its R&D and technology. We expect China to remain a dominant player in the global supply chain. Like a strong tree with deep roots grown over 30 years, it is not easy for a brief thunderstorm like Trump's trade war to uproot it, especially now that Biden might not seek escalation. Within the global trade of goods not considered to be of strategic value to both parties, 
China can continue to keep high-value manufacturing within its shores while outsourcing lower-value manufacturing to ASEAN and other low-cost countries. Vested business interests, meanwhile, will ensure that no rash moves will be made by either government. It will be some time before a winner is declared in the trade war, but so far there are few signs to suggest the U.S. has won it. Professor Tan Konyam is a founding member and deputy chairman, China, of APS Asset Management. He is also professor of economics at the Nanyang Technological University. He serves as a board member at the Chengyi Airport Group, 2015 to present. From 1985 to 1988, he was the chief assistant to Dr. Gokeng Sui, the late deputy prime minister of Singapore, who was invited by Mr. Deng Xiaoping to advise China on economic development strategy. From June 2002 to June 2005, he was a senior economist at the World Bank office in Beijing. In 2004, he was a member of the World Bank Expert Group on the 11th Five-Year Plan from 2006 to 2010 for the State Council in China. He served as the chief economist of the Singapore government from 1999 to 2002. Kanish Kakar joined APS Asset Management in September 2019 as a senior forensic analyst. He previously worked at KPMG Advisory and Clifford Chance Knowledge Center. He has a Bachelor of Science and Bachelor of Law from National Law University in Jodhpur. He also has an MBA in Finance and Strategy from Singapore Management University. Jason Yap joined APS Asset Management in February 2020 as a senior forensic analyst with 10 years of experience. He previously worked at Asia-based forensic accounting firms Borelli Walsh Limited and Entan Corporate Advisory. He has a Bachelor of Business Management with a finance major, cum laude, from Singapore Management University. He is also a CFA charter holder from the Chartered Financial Analyst Institute. 